Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. We've got a very exciting Figured Out Baseball podcast today, someone that I'm, I'm really excited to get into a conversation with. Uh, this is Marty Sutherland on the call today. He's the associate head coach at the University of Iowa, of course, in the Big Ten. Uh, I'll give you Coach Sutherland's background before we jump into questions with him. He started his playing career at Kirkwood Community College, a junior college in Iowa. He was there from 1999 until 2000. He then went on to play at Northern Iowa in 2001 and 2 for Coach Rick Heller, who's currently the head coach at the University of Iowa. Um, the Northern Iowa team has since dropped their program, which we'll, we'll get into in a little bit here. Uh, at UNI, Coach Sutherland actually hit 318 for his career, so he could swing it a little bit back in the day. 2003, he started his coaching career as an assistant coach at Wartburg College. And then 2004 through 2009, he went to the University of Northern Iowa with Coach Heller to be an assistant coach. After the 2009 season, you and I dropped their program. At that point, Coach Sutherland uh, went into the high school ranks. He was an assistant coach at Cascade High School in Iowa. He also worked uh, at Bases Loaded Academy in Dubuque, Iowa, as a hitting coach and a, and a defensive coach, fielding instructor. He got back into the college game when he was hired to be the recruiting coordinator at Iowa in the fall of 2013. 2014, his first spring at Iowa, his team led the Big Ten in batting average, hits, runs, and on-base percentage. In 2015, they had a recruiting class that was ranked number 18 nationally. On the, spring, or, uh, on the field in the spring, they won 41 games, the second most in school history. They went to an NCAA regional. They were ranked as high as 20th in the country that season and finished the season nationally ranked for the first time in school history. They were ranked 11 na nationally uh, in defense. They had six all-conference players, which was a school record. They had five players drafted, which was tied for the most in school history. In 2017, Coach Sutherland was promoted to be the associate head coach. Um, in the spring of 2017, uh, well, in, in 2017, the team represented the United States at the World University Games in Taipei, Taiwan, where they earned a silver medal. In the spring that year, they won 39 games. They went to an NCAA regional again. They had an individual player that year who hit 29 home runs. That was a school record and also a Big Ten record. Uh, the team hit 71 home runs, which was the most at University of Iowa since 1999, probably with a different style of bat back then, I would say. Um, they led the conference that year in hits, RBIs, and slugging percentage. They're in the top 25 in the NCAA in fielding percentage and double plays. Also set the school record that year for double plays turned. In 2018, they had five players drafted, again tied for the most in school history in a single season. 2019, they won 30-plus games for the sixth straight year. Uh, 2020, they had beaten three ranked teams and got off to a, a pretty good start before the season was cut short due to COVID-19. Uh, in, in six full seasons and one partial season at the University of Iowa, Coach Sutherland's teams uh, have had six All-Americans. They've had 23 players drafted. Um, really, really great stuff they've done at the University of Iowa, Coach Sutherland and the rest of the staff. Uh, but, but, Coach, I appreciate you being on the podcast today. I'm very excited to get into this one with you. Jeff, uh, really, really appreciate you reaching out and um, thinking enough of of our program and myself to have me on. So really excited to, to jump into some stuff with you. And it's always good hearing some of those things, just, just having memory flashes throughout throughout that from, from you know, accomplishments from the team-wise with just individual players and uh, thinking back to uh, kind of some of the highlights that happened over the course of my coaching career has been, uh, and that was fun just uh, thinking about those while you were going through it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. 
When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Absolutely, and it's, it's always fun to talk about things that have happened in the past and kind of relive some stories. Now, for you, you've spent a lot of time uh, with Coach Heller. You played for Coach Heller. You coached for Coach Heller at the University of Northern Iowa. You're coaching for him again now. Uh, I'm interested in that because I think that anytime two coaches spend a lot of time together and a lot of years together, there's really something to that. Uh, how much has Coach Heller meant for your career? And, and, and maybe that uh, will also lead into kind of why you've decided, you know, why is Coach Heller the guy that you want to stick with? Why have you spent so much time of your career coaching with, uh, you know, playing for and then coaching with Coach Heller? Well, I mean, it even stretches back to, um, you know, I, I knew about Coach Heller, uh, about Rick, um, when I was in high school. Uh, I went to a small high school in Iowa, Cascade, which is uh, not far from Dubuque, about an hour north of Davenport. Um, Rick was, of course, up in Fayette at Upper Iowa at the time, but uh, there's a, you know, we all grew up around this men's league, um, you know, semi-pro baseball circuit. Uh, and, and Rick was a player. Rick Rick would play most of the summers and did until I don't know when he was ultimately done. Probably late thirties um, or so uh, when he stopped playing. But I'd see his name all over the place. He played for a team called the Fan Cardinals and ran that. Um, so they would come down and they would play uh, Cascade and the Cypress stuff. And I don't know that I ever played against him, but I definitely was around when he was playing. Uh, and then he was in our high school uh, recruiting for Upper Iowa. Uh, met with myself at that time. Uh, you know, so we had brief conversations there. Um, and then obviously, uh, I went to junior college. He stayed in Upper Iowa. He got the U and I job a year, but uh, my after my freshman year, I think at Kirkwood. Uh, so the, we were all really excited. Anybody who was a baseball guy in, in Iowa knew who Rick was and knew the success he had in Upper Iowa. And when he got that job, everybody was really excited about what, you know, they thought he could do at UNI as, as a Division One coach. So um, ended up committing there on Kirkwood. And actually the summer of uh, the summer after my sophomore year, I didn't really know where I was going. He gave me an opportunity to come up to UNI and play, uh, which was, was a great decision. So I got to play for him for two years. Um, and, and it really – really was in line with the type of baseball I grew up playing and, and I played for a high school coach who wrote up one over a thousand games, Jerry Rowland, um, who if I you know, if I think a kid coaches who had such, you know, really large influences on me as players and coaches, you know, Coach Rowland, Coach Heller, uh, Tim Evans, who was his uh, coach at Kirkwood, um, you know, even my year with Joel Holst, I learned a lot. You know, those guys all all had a big influence, but probably none bigger than Rick, especially I owe my whole coaching career to Rick. Um, he hired me as a volunteer at UNI uh, after my first year at Warburg, and then I've been with them, you know, all the way through the UNI years after that, and then he hired me off the scrap heap uh, to come back to Iowa. So, you know, I don't owe any, anybody more uh, than him uh, as far as coaching is concerned. So, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for Rick and, and one of the reasons that I probably have never never went anywhere else is and it's just his ideals, his values, uh, what he believes is important, 
uh, as far as the baseball program is concerned and how he goes about coaching uh, are directly in line with, with the way I grew up and, and the way I've come to believe uh, as a coach myself. And any time that you are in sync that way, uh, you know, you, you never necessarily are looking for the next job. You're just, you're, you're always excited about what we can continue to do here, what we may be able to do in the future. And, uh, you know, that's really, really kind of how it, how I thought of my time with Rick is just constantly learn every single day. And, um, he's, he is a, a very democratic coach when it comes to his coaching staff. He is constantly looking for uh, input. And you never feel like you have to dance around things with Rick. You can always be truthful and honest. And regardless if you're agreeing with him or not, you know, if it's a tough conversation, that conversation is over when you walk out the door. Um, and, and there's no animosity. There's no awkwardness. There's none of that going on. He takes to heart anything that you're willing to share with him. doesn't mean he's always going to agree with you or, or, or do the things that, that you that you want to do, but man, he's going to hear you out. And what a great a great situation to be in as a coach. Absolutely, I think anybody that coaches, especially as an assistant coach, that's kind of what you want. You want somebody who's going to give you responsibility. You want somebody who's going to listen to your thoughts and ideas, and and legitimately consider what you've got to say and wants your input. And uh, if you don't have that situation. You know, it's tough, no matter what age you are, whether you're a young guy or you're a veteran, you know, you want to work with other guys that, that respect and appreciate what you can bring to the team. No question about that. Um, can you talk about, just to go a level deeper, can you just talk about some of the other values maybe that, that, that Coach Heller instilled in you, uh, you know, from the time when you were a player and, and a young volunteer, you know, things that you take with you now and if you ever – uh, you know, coach anywhere else. If you get a head job or, or you move on from Iowa for whatever reason, um, maybe some things that you've learned from him or even other coaches, really, that, that uh, uh, just that are lessons that are always stick with you and that you believe are important and kind of uh, establish the basis of, of who you are as a coach. I, I think a couple things. One thing that jumps out all the time with Rick, he is really present as a coach. And I think I always notice that as a player. Um, I still notice that as, a, as an assistant is he comes to coach guys every day. He doesn't come to be a CEO um, or anything like that. He is involved in the coaching of our, our baseball team on a daily basis. He takes our he, he uh, does our infield work. Um, he, he is involved with the hitting stuff as well. But he's present every day. And, and I think when you when you have a coach who, who is getting his hands dirty on a daily basis, uh, I think you you really have a lot, I think you have the respect of your team. I really do. They they know that he's out there grinding away and plugging away every day, just like they are. Um, the other thing with Rick and, and I will say this goes back to Joel Holstead, Werberg and my my head coach in high school. They were all super prepared and organized on a daily basis. Um, Practice was thought out. Practice is not just thrown together. There is an idea and, and things to accomplish at practice every day with, with the plan they put together. And I think that organization, you know, he had to do that when he was at Upper Iowa, you know, as a Division three coach and he had 60 players. You know, if he wasn't organized, you know, he wasn't going to get anything accomplished that day. Joel Holst was the same way. You know, he worked the Oma JV programs plus the varsity program, 50 to 60 guys. Super organized, 
guys who maxed out their practice plan every day with the with you know the you know whether we were in the gym or at the field, it was well thought out, and, and that remains that remains with him ever you know on a, on a daily basis. We meet as a staff about practice, you know, almost every day. Definitely at the beginning of the week to lay it out. Um, you know, we're never going to show up without a plan to get better that day. So I think those are two things that are, are really are really important with Rick. And also the last thing, he's just a really humble guy. Um, he 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 wants all the praise to go to the people around him, um, and, and he doesn't like to to listen to the praise that that he receives. He's just a humble guy. If there's a piece of trash, he picks it up. You know, if there's balls to be picked up or bats to put away. And he's not waiting for somebody else to do it. Here you have the head coach of a Power 5 program who's just fully invested in the program and fully invested in it just being a good person. Um, that just goes a long way. So those are some things I picked up from him. And, and uh, you know, as a coach, you and I talked a little bit before we got going uh, about somebody you coached with, Justin Schulte. But I think it's the same feeling, you know, we talked about that Justin made you want to be a better coach. Um, it demanded that that you be a better coach, and and so those are those are things that you know. Let's be honest; they make you a better coach, or else you're not going to be there. So um, I think those are reasons he's been successful and continues to be to be successful and continues to improve. It's it's great to hear, and it's and it's very true. We did talk about this before we started recording this, um, but just the the genuineness of Coach Heller and really everyone on the staff at the University of Iowa, uh, not to make a plug for the program, but but it's true. Uh, my, they're limited interactions, but my interactions with everyone from from the whole program, the baseball program at University of Iowa, is has always been great. And I know Coach Schulte has spoken very highly of Heller. Uh, from when I coached it with Coach Schulte the first time, you guys were at uh, Northern Iowa and you were recruiting our players. And even then, I know that, that Coach Schulte spoke very highly of Coach Heller even at that time. And um, there's a lot of respect, I know, uh, for that guy. Not you know not just around the state of Iowa, but, but everywhere, I think, in, everywhere in college baseball, I think he's a very, very respected person. Um, I like that you had talked about just the preparedness of practice and always having a plan. Um, and it's not always easy to do as a coach. Let's talk about hitting a little bit. Um, when you are preparing for practice, what do you what do you hope to get out of practice every day? Or maybe it varies a little bit. But can we talk, can we kind of talk about just planning for practice a little bit? And, and your facilities obviously might be different than other people's, but generally speaking, your outcome and what you're trying to accomplish is probably you know able to be accomplished almost anywhere. Can you talk about how you prepare for practice right now? You know, the one thing we really try to do is is break up any type of monotony that can happen. You know, my hope is our guys come to practice, you know, obviously we're going to talk specifically on the hitting side, that they know they're going to do something a little bit different, you know, each day. You know, maybe the weeks look similar, but each day is going to be a little bit different. And, you know, we, we utilize a lot of tech. Um, there are a few, few things that we know. You know, we do a lot of vision training with our hitters. We test we test all of our, our position players' vision at the beginning of the fall. Um, we work with, with a team of eye doctors that are that are basically part of the team. Um, and they put together plans to improve our guys. So that's a part of everyday practice, some way, shape, or form, is there's going to be some type of vision training. Uh, we're doing a lot of pitch recognition stuff. Um, 
you know, so we just try to, to, to maybe take a piece of, a little piece of everything every day. And so, um, you know, it might be, it might be more, um, you know, I'm trying to say more team-based hitting one day and then way more individual hitting the other day. Um, you know, we try to add Velo, try to do some type of, of stress every single day as far as velocity is concerned. You know, we try to try to mix it secondary stuff frequently. Um, so we just got all these little areas that we want to take a piece from every single day to make sure that they come to practice and when we get to hitting, they're like, no, this isn't the same old stuff, you know? And when you're outside and you have the ability to get outside, that's, that's way easier. When you're more inside and you're more cage relegated, you know, that becomes a little bit more uh, difficult, but you know, we're lucky enough to have again a lot of a lot of different hack attack machines, a lot of different technology based things that we have a tendency to be able to break things up. So, you know, those are the types of things we're trying to do. Um, like I said, going back to the tech stuff, I think in today's world, um, you can't you can't be married to it, but you definitely you definitely have to have some knowledge on it with the way kids learn, I think nowadays. Um, you want they want instant feedback and the tech allows you to do that. I think the tech also maybe uh, maybe you're seeing something in a hitter. Um, there's a story being told there with their approach and their plan and these types of things. And, and a lot of times, TrackMan or Blast Motion or some of these other tech things that we have then give you kind of they, they give you the back back up to the story, right? They give you all the information. It's like, listen, I you can show the kid. It's not just my word of mouth. And here's several several instances from a data perspective that are proving, you know, what we're talking about. So I think in today's world, it's really important to have that involved in your program. Great stuff. And if you don't mind, I'd like to spend some time talking about that in just a minute. But I do want to talk, I just want to kind of ask a very general question before that. Um, if, you know, if a high school coach is listening to this or, or even a guy, a kid that kind of works on his own, um, do you have thoughts on how many swings in a day or in a week like a hitter should be taking? Like what's what's optimal? What's too much? What's not enough? Do you have thoughts on that just to kind of give people again listening to this what's you know, how how many swings in a week should a should a hitter be striving for? Uh or maybe there's something else, another goal you have in mind of like we need to do this at this many times this week or this amount or, or whatever. Just just to sort of uh optimize um you know, training time and optimize a, a, a kid's opportunity to get better. Yeah, I think I think that's a really hard. Um, you know, it's kind of it's hard to put concrete numbers on those things because I think there is some individuality that comes out. Um, you know, in, in the amount that they do, um, and then the hardest thing I think is varying the quality and quantity aspects. Right? It's okay if we're just going out there and swinging with no plan. And, and coach, I'm, I'm swinging a hundred times a day and, and whatever. But if there's really no no plan or path that you're on with those swings, I really think you're just running in place. Uh, so the quality is really important. The, the concentration is really important. The ideal of hey, what am I trying to accomplish today? I think is is way more important than probably the number of swings you take. So maybe one day you're just going in there and you just want to work on an aspect of your your swing, whether it be mechanics or approach or stuff like that, and maybe you only need 50 swings that day, and maybe that's all you're capable of that day from a concentration standpoint. 
hard to sit there. Everybody's wired differently, and some guys just can't sit there for that long a period of time with with a good a line of focus. So I think it's just kind of knowing yourself and what you're capable of. And, you know, if, if you have fatigue, if fatigue's really starting to happen, then, then you need to back off. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys that, you know, talk about, um, you know, why would you ever take more than five swings or more than two or three swings in one one round because you know what normally happens in an at bat, right? You're normally not going to have four or five swings at bats. Um, you know, some, some people believe that the less is more type of thing, but I do think there's a balance. I wish I had just the number, but I think you can go out and hit every day. I just don't think you should do the same thing every day. I think you should stress yourself. Uh, you should make it hard on yourself on, on days. I think there's days you shouldn't make it hard on yourself. Um, I just think there's a balance there with what guys do. And again, what may be good for you may not be good for the guy next to you. Um, and, and I don't think you necessarily have to get caught up in, in what's going on around you. Think more individually with what you're doing. And, and you know, as coaches, that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to make sure, you know, what's good for Johnny might not be good for, for Tim. And so being able to, you know, not necessarily just have this one this one big plan for everybody, making sure we individualize it to a degree is what we're trying to do as coaches, and, and you should definitely do that as a, as a player as well. How do you sort of manage then the expectation to your players, um, you know, as far as guys that I'm sure you still have this to this, you know, right now on your team at times, but guys that you feel like are not hitting enough, other guys you feel like maybe hitting too much. You know, they they're in they're not hitting real well, and, and after a game they want to go take they want to go hit in the cage for an hour, and, and maybe sometimes you got to pump the brakes a little bit. And other guys you've got to say to them, you know, hey, I think you're I think you got hit a little bit more than you're hitting. How do you uh, make that distinction? from player to player, and again, just talking to coaches that are maybe listening to this and just helping them to become better hitting coaches, how do you make a distinction of when a guy is uh, maybe working too much or not working enough, and you might have to, to have somebody ramp up a little bit? I think some of, you know, having some tech and being lucky enough to have last motion for all of our guys and be able to have some of those things, I think sometimes the data will tell you, right, you know, that, that maybe your numbers are breaking down, they're not they're not consistent with what uh, the numbers typically are, so that's obviously a time you need to, to back off. You know, especially on game day, Rick and I, I think both agree that there is a swing count. Uh, we don't want to we don't want to wear those guys out from a swing standpoint on game day. Uh, you definitely got to get your work in. I think it's really important, especially thinking to college or thinking to the high school and the youth coaches. You know, everything is so game. Everything's so game-oriented in a lot of ways nowadays. You have to make sure that you utilize your game day as a day to get better. Um, and, and so making sure you have a good plan for them, you know, for their for pre-hits, for pre-game hitting and, and your batting practice prior to the game, um, you know, not just allowing them to show up and hit. And there's days that probably you need to just show up and hit. But um, having a good plan throughout your season when you're really game-heavy, uh, it's really important, you know, so we utilize our, our batting practice leading into a game. That's, that's our time to kind of maybe work on a thing or two if we need to, but, but really make sure that we, we have a, a program in place to keep them sharp. Uh, I think it's really important. But like you said, it's sometimes there's just some trial and error with, 
learning individuals and learning what makes them go. I mean, we've had guys that you had to kick them out of the cage. We've had guys that, you know, aren't in there as much. And, and I think sometimes the performance, and you know, we don't like to talk about results, but some of that will either show you that it's successful or it's not successful. And the other thing we really try to do is create competition within our within our uh, development. You know, we have a board in our hitting facility with all the exit velocities on every type of instrument that we use. And when I talk about instruments, I mean an overload bat, an underload bat, a really heavy bat, a normal bat, whatever it may be. And so they're constantly competing. And anytime they break those numbers, they have the freedom. They have the freedom to go write their new number in there. So whether that happens in a practice setting or whether that happens on their own, they all have that ability. So just doing some things like that create some of that competition, I think sometimes will motivate them to maybe put the work in. And, and again, I think if you have a good culture of, of guys that are in the cage a lot, come out to hit early every single day, then obviously, you know, they're going to pull along those guys that maybe don't have that internal motivation that makes them tick to want to do it, you know, as much as, as some of the guys do. Let's talk about tech a little bit. Um, I think that technology that's out there can be intimidating to guys sometimes that are that are a little bit older or maybe they're coaching at lower levels and they're they're a little bit of in, intimidated to to kind of adapt it at their levels. I think at the at most college levels now, especially colleges, well, I think at, at all colleges, I think it's it's almost understood that you're going to use some kind of tech. Probably at most schools out there, and it just sort of depends what your budget looks like as far as what you're able to do and how much. But if we can talk um, tech a little bit in hitting. And, and maybe not even necessarily the tools that you're using, but maybe how you implement this stuff and why some of it's important. Uh, I do bring up social media a good bit in these podcasts because I think social media is something that people battle with, you know, coaches, because you you see uh, such strong opinions and such strong opposition on social media sometimes that no matter it's almost like no matter how much conviction you have in something, you can hear some pretty strong voices that will try to talk you out of it and maybe make you question a little bit what you're doing or why you're doing it. And I know with uh, with most tech, there there's there's always kickback. There's always those people who don't uh, think it has a place. There's people that think that you know the game is uh, you're, you're losing some you're losing kind of the eye test or or losing the other uh, non-measurable things when you focus too much on tech. So let's talk a little bit maybe about what you do with your guys. Um, and, and maybe you can change. You can kind of talk about what you what you'd like. But well, let me just ask you this question: What are some things that you measure, or that uh, some measurables that you get from tech that you wouldn't otherwise get? And maybe we can talk about those individually, such as launch angle, exit velocity, things like that. What are some things that you guys measure there, coach, with your hitters? Uh, I, I, we measure all of the all of the things that you just said. I mean, we measure exit velocity in both of our, basically every cage that we have, well, two of them for sure that that uh, that have have uh, radar guns basically set in them where there's a LED board that's going to register every every exit velocity up there. We have hit tracks in another cage, so that's obviously measuring uh, exit velocity. Um, we have ropes that we put up in our cages that our managers have measured out, you know, launch angles, whether it be from zero to 12 degrees and then 12 to 15. Uh, so there's always this constant, you know, these external cues 
that the guys have um, to get direct feedback on what's going on. You know, we'll we'll have times in the case we, we track a lot of stuff that that they'll be um, maybe anything that's 95 plus x below with the launch angle from 12 to 25. And again, we have these ropes to indicate what's happening at a point, or maybe it's you know this particular one. As soon as you leave those parameters, you have to get out of the cage. Um, so we just kind of try to create some competition. We try to track a lot of these things. Um, so those are some things that we do for sure. Uh, we do have, like I said, blast motion. So the guys are getting, getting feedback on their phones pretty much throughout practice. Again, you know, the, the slippery slope is, is that they become a prisoner to these numbers. And they become a prisoner to what their phone says on their swing. And, and you know, we just try to make sure that we have a good balance of, hey, that swing looks really good. I don't really care what the blast motion says. All right, if we, can, if we can repeat what you just did, you're going to be just fine. Um, and then there are other aspects when we know that maybe something may be happening in the swing, that there's a flaw, we all can see it. Maybe we can't really quantify it or they can't feel it or, or whatever you show it to them on video, it doesn't quite click. Well, then maybe it shows up on their blast motion and we can tell them, listen, this is what we're talking about. Um, your barrel, you're dragging your barrel. Losing connection, you know, all these types of things shown right here, and they just get a different style of feedback than just the old, you know, word of mouth or voice to to video type of stuff. So, I do think, listen, we have a lot of tech. I I am, I have learned a ton. I have way more to learn. It is a part of what we do, but there is a there there is a a mix that needs to happen. We can't be heavy on one or not the other. Um, I really believe, say this all the time, we can be great on all the tech things, right? When we get into cage, we have a great launch angle. You know, we, our exit below is 105 plus. You know, we have all these measurables that are in a really great place. But if I take those measurables and I go to the plate without a plan or without the right mindset, I don't care what that stuff looks like, you're not going to be successful. And we've all seen the guys in the numbers don't quantify what they do in a game. They go in the game and they're way different. They're successful because they get the barrel on the ball. It doesn't matter. It doesn't look pretty. It, it doesn't have the prettiest numbers, but they are, their hand-eye coordination and their barrel-to-ball skills are elite. And then you have the guys that, that you know, are, are great and, and they put up the best numbers in your program and then they get in the game and it just never clicks. And so you really have to do a good job balancing that out. Uh, and if you don't, then you're going to have all of these pretty automobiles without a steering wheel, right? They're not driving. <laughs> so we, we need to be able to put it on the field. And, you know, I think back going into, not to run on all, all this stuff, but think back when you talk about social media. It is, a great time, it is a great time to be alive as far as information is concerned. And, you know, we need to take in the information. Uh, there is a lot of good stuff out there. There is a lot of abrasive embracing people there's a lot of a lot of stuff out there that isn't good but you should always take in the information you should never think that somebody doesn't have something you can something to give you as far as learning is concerned so um, find out what works best for you 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 know that's really important it has to you have to have a set of beliefs yourself because if you don't you're going to always be moving and changing right and you're never going to have anything set that you can go back to. So I think it's important to have some beliefs. It doesn't mean they can't change over time and that you aren't looking to learn. But um, 
you know, to just kind of whitewash all that stuff that's out there is crazy. There's just a lot of smart people out there. There's a lot of guys way smarter than me doing a lot of great things on the hitting side. So my job is to educate myself um, and, and to make sure that I'm constantly trying to evolve and to be a forward thinker. And, and that comes from our head coach because he's built the same way. So, um, you know, I, I would never tell you that there's there's nothing good out there. There's a lot of good things out there. We all know people have agendas that are different than ours. You know, I'm just teaching kids in a facility. That's that's way different than, you know, maybe what we're doing as far as, you know, trying to go out there in 60 games, win 40 games. Um, we need to win. We need to be successful on the field. So, you know, I just think it's always going to be a little different as opposed to somebody who's just out there, uh, maybe even on the pro side who's in the minor leagues where, you don't necessarily have to worry about the team success, the individual success, uh, where I think definitely we have to balance those two things a lot differently than others do. And, and what you said right there at the end, toward the end, is one of the things that Figured Out Baseball is built on. Video-wise, we only have college and pro coaches that are on the site that are contributing video, and that's for the reason you just said. There are a lot of great guys that work in facilities, and there are, you know, guys that coach high guys that coach at the college level that are horseshit. It's just you know, it, it exists. But primarily at the college level, you have guys that are trying to win, and I think that you don't teach something if you're a college coach. You don't teach something unless you believe it's going to produce numbers that are going to produce wins and for that reason we only allow college and pro coaches to contribute content whereas you know there are some guys that own facilities out there that are going to change their philosophy every couple years to stay with the trends and that's what keeps kids coming through the door and and for that very reason we we set up figure out baseball like we do because we want people to look at at figure it out like a, a resource they can really trust um, and feel like you know where you're getting the information from and, the, and that the guys that are teaching you are teaching you for the right reasons and they're teaching you what they're doing with their teams primarily. Um, yeah, I, you're 100% right. I was just thinking to myself, uh, um, one of my good friends in coaching, Dan Fitzgerald, who's an assistant on Dallas Baptist, who, who they, they, have, they teach hitting as well as anybody does in the nation. And, you know, if, if your ultimate goal isn't to touch home plate, then what are we doing, right? I mean, the ultimate, what we're trying to teach in offense is, is to score runs. And whatever whatever allows us to do that more frequently is what we should be doing. And, and that's, that's a very broad topic that has lots of limbs to it. But ultimately, that's what you should be trying to do, and that's how you should be teaching. So if that's not the ultimate goal, then I don't know what we're doing then. Let's talk specifically about some of the – um, some of the numbers that you get from technology and maybe just try to help coaches to understand how to implement some of this stuff. So let's talk about launch angle first. Um, you see launch angle a lot. You see launch angle and exit velocity a lot when you watch Major League Baseball games now. And, you know, if things go well, we're, we're not far away from seeing some Major League Baseball this season. Well, at the time we're recording this, um, launch angle, can you talk about how you use launch angle as a as a resource as a tool for your players you know for someone who really doesn't understand much about it or for someone that's out there that says well i don't need a launch angle i don't, I don't need to know the launch angle to tell you that, that was a rod or, or to tell you that like that was a hard hit ball uh or to tell you that that was you know i, I don't need a launch angle to tell me whether or not that was going to be a ground ball or a fly ball 
you know, yeah, I agree with that to a point, but there's something you can learn. I think there's something to launch angle to a point. How do you use launch angle as a coach? How do you talk about launch angle with your players to help them become better, you know, better hitters and better overall offensive producers? Well, it's funny. I, I always just laugh when the term launch angle comes up because you, you just have – it's such a divisive term for a lot of people. And you hear it on baseball broadcasts and, and all this stuff. And I just laugh. People have been trying to hit line drives since the dawn of time. What, it's, nothing changes. It's the same thing. We're just – now it's quantifiable because of the launch angle stuff, right? We, have, we actually have a specific, um, a specific range that we know – uh, leads to a high amount of success. You know, and, and generally 10 to 25 degrees, we're in that range, we're going to hit a lot of doubles, and we're going to score a lot of runs. And that hasn't changed. They were trying to do that in 1955 as well. I mean, they were trying to lift the ball. They're trying to drive gaps. They were trying to do all these things. It's just now we have something that we can put numbers on. So I just laugh when I hear all that stuff. Now, obviously, the launch angle stuff is a result, right? It's based upon our swing. It's based upon our efficiency. It's based upon, you know, how, how we're getting to the ball. And so um, it's an external cue that I think becomes really important for our guys to get direct feedback. And we have all these lines, like I said, we have ropes all over our batting cages. So they know if, if the ball is striking the cage between these ropes, that they're going to hit 750. All right, and they're going to hit a bunch of doubles. Okay, so um, anytime that you can give them that type of cue in today's world, it's really important. And I don't. And Rick gave a great speech at the at the national convention, the ABCA, and talked about how you know basically external cues have, be, have become a really big topic, and that's that's all what we want to go to, as opposed to internal cues. That's something where we're saying, hey Johnny, you know, make sure your hands are here or something like that. Um, and they've gotten beaten up, you know, pretty pretty badly over the course of the last probably five, six years now that all this tech is involved. But there's still an aspect of coaching that we need we need to have internal cues and we need to give them internal cues. It's just we gotta be able to balance them. So the launch angle stuff is external, it's stuff that they can see. We know that there is a it's a result based thing upon, you know, where our mechanics are or how we're approaching the ball or how we're moving our body. So it just tells us the story, right? Hey, Johnny's, Johnny's hitting everything on the ground or less than five degrees. Okay, well, he's hit the ball 100 miles an hour, but he's only going to hit 275 on those balls. Well, we need that to change. We need that to be different. And then that external feedback will give him, you know, whether it's off the tee, it's off the flip, it's off the BP, it's off a half. Um, we can get him to consistently put the ball up to into that 10 to 15 degrees or be the power hitter, you know, 15 to 25, well, his results are going to be vastly different. So that's how I look at it. It's such, I think it's so important to understand, and I know people use the term launch angle swing as something that's really negative, especially if you're somebody that's maybe an old school type of guy, but it's no different than what's been trying to go on for years and years. And, and if you came to our practice, we still try to hit balls hard on the ground during practice at times, too. It's not just based on we're trying to lift balls in the air and, and you know, hit the balls out of the yard on every swing. We, there's importance to the game. You know, I, I go back again to stealing 50 stuff at DQ, but, you know, 
you know, if all you can do is shoot threes, um, you know, maybe you're not going to be in the game late or, or if you can't hit free throws, meaning you can't move the baseball or score the guy from third, you're not going to be in at the end of the game. You need to be diverse as a, as a hitter. So, um, you know, you can use the launch angle to benefit, you know, that thought uh, and that philosophy pretty well. I have a couple, three spinoff questions, actually, then, from that question. And you sort of maybe answered the first two a little bit. I'll, I'll sort of combine the first two here for you. If you've got a guy on your team, you know, honestly, regardless of whether the kid's on your team or he's 14 years old, Coach, if you have a guy that physically doesn't have the power to hit the ball over the wall, is there a, a launch angle that that guy should be shooting for? And is that different than a guy, regardless of the level that he plays, again, whether he's 15 years old, 14, 15, or whether he's, he's a senior on your team, do you, uh, is there a different optimal uh, launch angle based on you know, what a hitter is, is physically capable of doing? I guess to, to sort of summarize, if a guy uh, – well, I had a guy at, at a junior college once who squared the ball up a good bit, uh, but he hit the ball – up in the air too high, uh, in my opinion, and, and, he, and the ball just kind of floated up there, and, and you have a couple guys in the outfield that can really run, and the ball is run down most of the time. And we had a conversation at that time, before the word launch angle even existed, about basically lowering his launch angle so that he could get some hits. You know, instead of instead of hitting uh, what amounted to be a high line drive, and if the guy had better exit velocity, he'd, they'd be doubles and homers. But for him, they're you know 300 foot flyouts. Um, so I guess let me just start right there. Do you is, is there an optimal launch angle for someone who would be considered maybe a singles and doubles hitter based on his power? And is there an optimal launch angle for someone who would be considered a double and home run guy based on his power at, at, at whatever his respective level is? 100%. Uh, you know, I think back to the 2017 when we, we led the Big Ten in homers or whatever, and we had Jake Adams who started his uh, point two years at DMAC. Um, and then we got him for his junior year in Iowa. He had 29 homers, and um, he had the best power I've ever witnessed on a baseball field. Um, and then we also had a second baseman who's five foot eight, Mitch Bo. Um, those guys are not working in the same area. You know, we, you know, it's funny we generally talk about the ground ball portion of, of the low launch angle, but having 35 degrees or plus as your launch angle consistently is no good either. Um, the ground ball usually can find some holes, at least, or, or you know, guys have to defend it. Where 35 plus, they're out. They're out at every level. Um, so there, there definitely is a difference between the type of person. And one thing I think, as a as a hitting coach, it's really important to talk to your guys and establish the type of hitter that they are. And that doesn't mean it needs to be dictated by by the coaching staff. Obviously. We're going to have strong opinions about who we think they should be as a hitter. You want to involve them. But if, if Mitch Bowe, our little second baseman, was trying to hit balls at 25 degrees, you know, they're going to be out. I mean, if Jake's hitting balls, you know, below 10 degrees, you know, he's not utilizing the special gift that he has. So Mitch would be probably a guy that we would really say, we want you in that 10 to 15 degree launch angle, all right? 8 to 15. We know that's going to be hard line drives that are going to get over the, the infield heads um, that can hit some gaps and hit some doubles. And, and so we want you to, to work in that angle. Where Jake, hey, listen, Jake, we want you in the 20-25 range, 18 to 25, because if Jake hits them at 25 degrees, they're gone. 
Um, they're out every single time uh, as long as he's got it on the barrel. So uh, you definitely want to individualize it uh, and, and, and think about the type of player that person is and, and the type of, you know, wherever his gift lies, if he's a, if he's a, a really athletic and he runs, well, we don't want them hitting 20-degree launch angle balls. We don't want the ball there, you know, unless they have the ability to drive it out of the park. We want him to err on, on the ball, you know, and be down, right? Then the guy with power, we want to err on the side being up. So those are the types of things you're working through and, and talking to your guys about. And, and obviously having all of that feedback at their at their fingertips, whether it be a hit tracks machine or, or again, you know, the high school guys that, that don't have the ability to buy things like that, you know, just decorate that cage. Decorate the cage with strings and targets and just these external cues that the guys know all of the measurements you can figure out online. Uh, we're lucky enough to have really smart managers, and, and you're going to, you said you're going to talk to our pitching coach here uh, pretty soon. And most of the time, he walks in a room, he's going to be the smartest guy. And you can, he, uh, he's a good resource to have. So, um, again, you can do all of those things and give your guys some feedback that's really simple, and you don't need blast motion, and you don't need rap soto hitting, and you don't need, you know, some of these, these tech things to do that. Back before launch angle was a thing. I used to equate things with my hitters with golf clubs, which I think um, most people, you know, most people are at least aware of. And going back to that hitter at the junior college that didn't hit the ball very far and hit it too much in the air, I just equated it to him like I, it's like you're hitting a five iron right now, but I want you to hit the driver. Like it's yeah. just to, just to create a, a visual image for him as as far as how much in the air you want this ball to be. And you know, mo I think most golf clubs out there probably say what the loft is off the club and. I think that gives a guy a pretty good idea, and heck, maybe maybe whoever uh, first thought of the term launch angle and bring it into baseball, maybe they maybe they were a golfer first and <laughs> and, and started there. Well, I don't know. Funny. Jeff, it's funny you say that. A lot of the technology um, came from golf, um, whether it be Rapsodo or TrackMan. A lot of that started out as, as golf tech. So 100%, there's correlation between you know what was probably happening in the golf world. 10, 10 years ago, and now it's translated over to the baseball world. So you're you're way you are way ahead of your time. There, so <laughs> way ahead. Well, I did what I could because I was always at schools with low budgets and, and a lot of. So we had to be pretty creative with in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, next question, staying on launch angle. One of the spinoff questions. This might be a tough one for you to answer, but it's a, it's very it's always interesting to me. Uh, as a pirate fan, I'm from Pennsylvania. I'm a big pirate fan. Uh, Jordy Mercer was the, was a shortstop for the Pirates for quite a few years. Uh, now he's with the uh, the Tiger. I think he's still with the Tigers this year. Um, Jordy Mercer was a a big shortstop, six foot three. Um, you know, probably two hundred ten pounds, whatever. He could hit the ball as far as anybody. You know, he played with McCutcheon and some other guys like that, and he could hit the ball as far as those guys. But he didn't hit nearly as many home runs. And, and honestly, and I, and I don't. Uh, Jordy Mercer is probably going to call me up and, 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 you know, bitch at me for for talking about him. But he's just a good example and a guy I've had in my mind for a while, and, and this is the first time I've brought it up with anybody. Jordy Mercer didn't square the ball up as much as Andrew McCutcheon, as much as Starling Marte, right? So even though he could hit the ball as far as those guys when he squared it up, he didn't hit that many balls over the wall. And, and part of the, you know, reason in my mind is is that he just didn't, 
have didn't barrel balls up as often as they did. didn't have the quite the timing that those guys did so maybe he was a guy that tried to hit the ball at a lower launch angle because his the percentage of the time that he squared the ball up wasn't as high as some of the really elite guys like some of the you know perennial all-stars out there is that something else that you work with whereas maybe a guy uh, has you know big time raw power but if you don't square the ball up on a consistent enough basis isn't it safer to hit the ball at a lower launch angle where you, where you actually have a chance to get on base more, whereas if you're hitting the ball in the air and either you miss hit a little bit or your timing's not quite right, so maybe instead of hitting it you know, at whatever your highest launch angle is, you're only, you hit it at, at 75% of, what, you're, uh, you know, 75 of what, you're at, what your maximum exit velocity is, is uh, what you're capable of, uh, you're not going to get on base that much, and ultimately you've got, you've got to get on base. Of course, you want to hit the ball over the wall, but if you're going to be a productive hitter, You've got to be on base from time to time, right? You can't hit you can't hit 215 and and occasionally hit a home run and expect to be in the lineup. Am I am I way off on this, or is this something that like if you have a guy that's sort of that way has the raw power, but doesn't necessarily square the ball up at an elite level? Do you need to kind of lower the launch angle a little bit to give that guy a chance to to really have some success and maybe miss hit a ball and still get a hit? Well, I just think there's a lot of layers to that, right? Because um, yeah, the mentality, the mentality may need to change. But when you have guys like that, I ultimately go to the, the, either the non-con, you know, the stuff that has nothing to do with your actual physical swing. What's your plan? Okay, what? How? What's your approach? I mean, this is why it's so important to marry these things. Because, like I was telling you before, and I'll say that I'll say it again: if you have a Cadillac. Uh, but it has no steering wheel, it's worthless. You can't drive the thing. So there are guys that have, like you said, have great launch angles and, and, and can really hit the ball a long ways. But if they go up there without a plan, um, they can't make adjustments, they can't do some of the things that we know are really important as a hitter, it's never going to materialize for them. And so as a coach, you need to figure out, okay, where is this going wrong? Is there something... Is there something physically happening, right? Is there some type of flaw in how we approach the ball? Are we too steep, okay? Meaning, are we chopping down on the ball a little bit too much? Meaning, maybe we're not in the contact zone very long. Or are we dumping the barrel? Are we way too uphill? Which is the same problem of, of being too steep. You know, we need to maximize time in the hitting zone. That's how you barrel stuff up, okay? That's how we be consistent. And, so if those things check out when I mean, you're like, man, this swing is in a really good place, the next thing I'm doing is I'm having his eyes checked. And because, you know, if we have bad depth perception or we have convergence issues, so on a depth perception situation, it's like he can, he can never truly figure out where the ball is in space. And if you can't, you know, we're going to have trouble squaring it up. And these are things, that's why we do the vision, the vision training every year. We can improve these things. Um, your eyes aren't just going to be your eyes. We can make them better. And we've had so many, so many great stories of guys uh, really improving that aspect and then taking off as hitters. Um, we had it on the flip side when we weren't doing all those things where you're like, man, everything looks great. I don't know what's going on. And here we come to find out he has really poor vision. He should have been wearing contacts. He should have been... You know, whatever he should have been doing to improve, he wasn't doing it. And therefore, guys just fall through the cracks with great ability. But no, um, I guess, no 
no way to kind of make sure that it's happening in the box. So I think you're right on. You're, 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 how you're approaching and what you're trying to do may change. And I think that's where you get a lot of rub, you know, Twitter, to, to, you know, for, for the Alex Rodriguez of the world. And then you got all the hitting guys who have done a ton of research and, and basically are really poo-pooing what some of these pro guys are saying because they're saying, well, I'm just trying to hit down to the baseball. Okay. Just because they think that doesn't mean that's what their swing is, but that swing thought for them works. And so who in the heck are we to tell them they're wrong? I don't think we are. doesn't mean him thinking that his swing was doing that actually kept him connected, kept him, uh, you know, gave him the ability to be consistent. So I think going back to what you said, yes, I think you, you may need to change some, some of what you do. Yeah, we don't want to hit the ball on the ground, but maybe – Maybe we have to try to do that, especially if a guy has a high ride fastball and, and it's one of those with with the high spin rate that that you know doesn't doesn't maybe uh, have the vertical break that that a sinker guy would be. And the sinker guy maybe have to try to hit underneath that baseball and try to scoop it out into the outfield. So there's so many different things in the sport that are important in the game that yeah we want to we want to improve these numbers, but there's a way larger story to tell with your approach and plan um, that really go into whether you're going to be consistent as a hitter. You mentioned early on there in that answer just about having a plan at the plate, and and that was – I'm going to embarrass myself with how much I think about the Pirates and their lineup here, but with Jordy Mercer, he was the guy that, you know, when you had J.D. Drew becoming J.D. Drew and you had – Justin Turner becoming Justin Turner and Max Muncy doing what he did, guys that, that were kind of afterthoughts becoming all-stars, even even Josh Donaldson taking his game to a completely another level. You'd see Jordy Mercer hit a 430-foot home run, and you'd think, if he just tried to do that every time up, could he could he be a 30-homer shortstop? Because he's a, you know, while maybe some of the metrics didn't always uh, say that he was a great shortstop, you watch him every day, and the guy's is very, very consistent shortstop, right? And he just kind of, in my mind, I'm thinking, could he be a guy that hits 30 homers in a season if he just tried to because he's got this natural, he's got power. He's got big-time power in his bat. And I, it was just sort of a question on my mind. I know there's a lot to it, but, uh, you know, I, you often just kind of ha- have those questions as a as a fan and, and kind of wonder what's going on behind the scenes. And, of course, there's a lot of things I don't know of, of course. And I'm just using Jordy to, as someone that's just is an interesting, interesting subject to me. Like, okay, if the guy can – can physically hit a ball this far, should we have him try to hit the ball that far every time up? Or are there certain types of hitters where even though he does have that power, we're just going to, we're going to kind of stay away from that and try to just just let him spray the ball around and get on base because that's his best chance of, of, you know, of contributing to the offense. I don't know what the right answer is, but I thought you might. You're a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not smarter than you, but here's what I would say on that. That, in essence, is coaching, right? What, what we're trying to do with coaching, I don't mean that in a way that that's why Jordy is or isn't producing at the level that he should be, but our job as coaches is to figure out what helps each person click or what clicks for each person and what clicks for Alex Rodriguez, like you said, he tries to hit down on the ball, Justin Turner tries to lift the ball every time, or Josh Allen tries to lift the ball every time. That works for them. We can't assume that that means that's going to work for everybody. And it may have just been a simple thing that, that Jordy Mercer has just never quite figured out what's worked for him. And the other thing is, 
pitchers are really good. The pitchers are really good. And, and so it's not easy. And the guys, you know, there could be just a bevy of things. Um, they could be a person that's extremely hard on themselves and lifts and dies with each at bat and lifts and dies with each swing. Those guys make life really hard for themselves um, to be consistent. And that's not something you automatically overcome. And that's sometimes something that nobody overcomes or, or somebody will never overcome. But those are the things you have to work through. And ultimately, again, as a coach trying to find out what, what makes them what makes them tick, right, and what, what will click for them is really important. And then ultimately making sure that we're creating ownership in the type of player they are from the actual player. They need to have ownership in how they're going about their business, how what their plan is. Obviously, we're going to give them a bunch of information that will hopefully gear it towards, um, you know, success. But we need to make sure that they take ownership. So, you know, when you're when they're in fight or flight mode, it's it's the eighth inning of of a tied game, and, and they're facing a really good arm that they can go perform, and they can make it a tweak here or there, they can make an adjustment on the fly, or they can make an adjustment at bat to at bat that we can't do for them. So, you know, that's coaching. We just have to give them as much of that information as they can handle. Everybody's different. We, we can't give the same amount of information to everybody, uh, but our job is to prepare them. Um, you know, I'm, we do that through an everyday thing with, with drill work and all that stuff, but we also better be preparing them for what's going on between their ears, giving them a great plan to control the moment and be in control of every pitch. And if those two things aren't if those two things aren't present, it's really hard to, to be a good hitter. Coach, do you have time for one more question along the tech lines? I know we're we're almost at the hour mark here. Do you have time for one more question? I do. Um, I just I would like to talk about this. You know, another. Uh, Another analytic that is that's talked about quite a bit that's out there's a lot that's uh, exit velocity. Um, you know that's where you'll see guys that say like I don't. I've seen Jeff Fry. You know we've had him on a podcast before. He's a really interesting guy to talk to. Uh, but you know Jeff Fry will say like I don't need to know exit velocity to know that I just hit a rod. You know right here and he'll he'll show a little clip of himself hitting a line drive. Why is exit velocity something you want to track? What do you get out of it? How, how do you use it as a teaching point for your players? Again, I, you know, it's quantifiable. And, and I think in today's today's world, to be able to put numbers on things in ranges just helps you tell a story. Um, hey, this guy's hitting, this guy hit 25 homers. Okay, because, you know, his average launch angle is 22 and he's averaging 98 miles an hour off the bat. Well, we know that's going to lead to a lot of success. You know, I I, I really struggle with with kind of the feud that goes on, you know, between the Jeff Fries and, and the other guys that are way more tech You know, obviously, I just don't think you can dispute either one and to sit there and just say, um, we're all data or I don't want any of the data makes no sense to me. I can't, I, I can never understand how that could, how we could maximize making guys better if that's our stance. And, and so, I, I, I obviously respect the Jeff Rice in the world because they got to the highest level and things were successful for them. And it doesn't mean, you know, some of his mentality stuff and what he thought about doesn't lead him down the road to success. 
accept, and it sure doesn't mean that the J.D. Martinez of the world who are, who are able to really jump into the data-related stuff and, and really think about certain things, that doesn't mean they're wrong either. Um, so I just I scratched my head at a lot of this stuff, and it, it's unbecoming in a lot of ways. It's hard to, to watch or, or read through, but, um, you know, there is some comedy out there, I guess, too. But um, back to the, back to the Exabilo stuff. So for me, the, the, the what we're searching for is that guys can hit the ball as hard as possible with the most efficient movement, with the least amount of effort. I think that, to me, is what's really important because when we're talking about high-velocity uh, type of stuff, and, and, man, the average velocity that our guys see in today's age and they go into a college game, you know, when I first started coaching when I was playing, is, is probably three to five miles an hour different. And so efficiency is really important. So we have to be able to move. We have to move the barrel in a way that we can maximize our, our next velocity. And anybody who says that we don't want to do that is crazy. The, the proof's in the, in the data. The harder you hit the ball, the more likely you are to get a hit and the more likely you are going to drive it and, and hit extra base hits, which we all know leads to runs. So we have to be able to utilize that stuff. And again, it's just quantifiable. It just gives us, it gives us uh, all it gives us all the stuff that, you know, if we're just telling the guy a story, it gives us concrete information to show them along with what we're seeing. Uh, and I think there's a marriage there that works. And I'm not here to think and say that we have all the answers on that stuff. Um, I just know that, you know, to live on one side of the fence or the other isn't, isn't getting, um, you know, we can't, we can't only be driven by data. We can't only be driven by feel. There, there is a definitely a middle ground that, that a ton of success, uh, there is a ton of success in that middle ground. So that's what we're searching for. Um, and that's why we constantly are trying to learn. Um, I know I didn't delve a ton into that, into the, the tech part of the, the exit below, but why, why wouldn't we try to hit the ball hard when we know that we have that out there that says we hit, you know, 95 balls at 95 plus or over 100 guys hit 600 on, you know, whatever the data is. Um, I don't know why it isn't good to know that information. I agree. I, I heard someone say at some point, I don't know when or where or who said it, but, you know, even power doesn't have to necessarily mean over the fence power. If you're a guy that just say like a one Pierre type that just wants to slap the ball through the infield, the harder you hit a ground ball, the less time the infielder has to get to it. Right. So like regardless of where, of whether you're hitting ball in the air or whether you're trying to hit a one hopper through the infield, the harder you hit it, the better chance you have of getting a hit. I mean, that's, pretty common sense and obviously like you said this just getting your exit velocity just quantifies and helps you you know it may, maybe it maybe it takes away some cage bombs where a guy says he got it and and you can look at the <laughs> you look at the data and say sorry you didn't get it <laughs> you didn't hit it that hard um but well, i mean that makes sense to me on all levels well i think the other thing going back to the quanti the quantifiable part of it is you create this competitive culture within your team you know like i said we have a board with all that stuff on there you know, what, what their exit velos are. And, um, you know, they're competing with one another. And not everybody is specifically driven that way. But a lot of successful um, athletes generally are. They're competitive. That's why they like to play. Um, and so you create this culture because you have this quantifiable data. If everybody was just, 
you know, saying, well, I just hit a, I just hit a rod. Well, okay. Well, what's that mean? And, um, have some, to put a number on it, I just think it can be really beneficial in training and development. So, um, we do it. And, and again, you know, I, that's not to say that anybody who doesn't do it is wrong. Um, I just, this is what we believe in. Um, this is, this is what, uh, you know, we preach to our guys and we hope that we create a culture of competitiveness and create a culture of continuing, continually trying to strive to be better. And so, um, I just think that they're, again, I would consider myself way more old school, um, than I do new school. But I also knew that know there's a lot of benefit in the new school stuff too. I just know I can't I can't just be on one side of the fence or the other and, and think that I'm going to be able to be the best coach I possibly can be for our guys. I I have to I have to do a really good job of balancing those two things and figure out what works for each of our players individually. And if one guy doesn't need as much of the tech stuff, then he won't do as much of the tech stuff, and vice versa. So I just think that uh, that middle ground is where we're all searching to be or all, all trying to be. And, and, and for some guys, you're, you're there a lot better than you are with other guys. And that's why we're, we're constantly trying to figure out what, the, what we can do to get those guys there. So I lied to you. I'm going to ask you one more question just based on something you just said there. Do you, have, do you still have players in today's world that the more data you give them, the more they're going to struggle with it? Because I know – you know, before you had access to this kind of stuff, there were certain players where, like, the more you talked to them, the more you made them think about stuff, the worse they were going to be. The more you just basically said, hey, man, see it and hit it, the better they were going to be. Do you still have those players in today's game where, like, even if you're collecting data, you're not really sharing it with them because the more you ask them to analyze things or, or the more you analyze for them, uh, the, the, the worse they, are, they become as a hitter. Do you still have that player today? No question. And I think it's... Where, where you see it really bleed over to is, is scouting, right? And, and the preparedness that you're trying to, to make them for whatever's ahead of them that weekend or whatever. And some guys, you can, you know, we, we can go pretty in-depth with, with scouting reports nowadays because of synergy and ability to, to watch a ton of video, you know, to get trackman data from certain, certain programs because, you know, anybody who has trackman uh, typically is... Uh, kind of in the sharing business uh, with TrackMan. So you have the ability to pull out of these numbers. So there's just a lot of things you can give the guys going into a weekend, especially as you get into the teeth of the season when there's more games. Then you have to be careful uh, with those guys. There's guys that they just want to know if the pitcher's right or left-handed and they're just going to go hit. Um, you know, where there's guys that, you know, I was a player myself. Give me everything you possibly can give me. I want to know everything about this guy. What's the velo? You know, what does he use when he's in trouble? What are the percentages? You know, you know, all, anything that I can get my hands on, I wanted to know. That was going to help me put together my plan. Where the other guys, like you said, there's a guy on the team that the guy that comes back to the dugout, you're like, oh, you just, you know, that whole run he just said was on a slider, right? I don't know. And they literally <laughs> don't know. You know? And you have, to, you have to do a good job with those guys, too. And um, yeah, we want to make sure that we're, we're, we're maximizing who they are as players and, and that we're still trying to prepare them the best we can. But some, some, a lot of times less is more. And then, and then you have the flip side where you can give a guy a ton of information and they'll eat it all up and they can still go perform. So, um, 
that's coaching again, right? You're just trying to figure out what makes these guys tick and, um, and where, what you can do to help them be successful is ultimately what we're all trying to do. This is great. This is Marty Sutherland, Sutherland everybody. He's the associate head coach at the University of Iowa um, and just someone who I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to, uh, someone that's a great blend of old school and new school and, and really just, I think, gets what it takes uh, to be successful and, and just a, a lot, so much good wisdom and, uh, and, and forethought and, and just a lot of knowledge that I, I appreciate you sharing. Um, that's the great thing about these podcasts. You get to hear from so many people from so many different backgrounds and, uh, and just college baseball coaches' willingness to share information is always amazing to me. So, Coach Sutherland, this has been great and very, very enjoyable on a personal level. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for having me on, and, and keep doing what you're doing, man. You're doing a great thing for for a lot of a lot of coaches, uh, whether they be young coaches or college coaches. I think everybody can get something out of what you're doing for the from the video content you're putting on your website um, to the to the podcast style that you're doing. Um, just keep keep uh, putting out the great content. I know it's not your your only thing, but man, it's been a, a great resource for a lot of people and. And it's been an honor to be able to sit down and talk to you, talk with you uh, about these things. And by no stretch do I know everything, but I have a lot to learn. Um, so anytime that I can get my hands on the things that you're doing from different perspectives, it just always makes me feel like it's going to help me be a better coach. Thank you. That means a great deal. And, and hopefully if people have not been listening to this, you'll check out figureitoutbaseball.com. We've got 500 uh, free videos and podcasts for you, <clears throat> as well as some premium content you can get into. And uh, we'll just keep continuing to expand and, and uh, you know, do, our, do the best we can to provide the best information we can. Coach Sutherland, thank you so much for the time today, uh, and best of luck to you and the team. Thanks, Jeff, and stay safe, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll all be able to see each other down the road here sometime. <laughs> I hope so. I hope we just see some kind of baseball sometime soon. That's right. That's right. Thanks again.